Hello and welcome to Mind and Football Coach Podcast. Today we have on the famous coach Tom McPherson. Right, coach? Is that how you said it? Yeah, I would say I would say it's McPherson. Yes, Coach McPherson. Um, coach has coached in Florida for uh, a long time. He has his um, his own website. is a YouTube sensation. I'm gonna let Coach talk about himself. Uh, this will be a, uh, a podcast full of full of nuggets. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, man. This is awesome. Um, you know, just tell the tell the listener a little about yourself and where you come from, and you know where, why you are where you are today. Um, it's a probably kind of a little bit different path to where you get to, but uh, I was born in Miami, raised on Long Island for pretty much my entire life from 1975 till about 1998. Played uh, small school college football at St. John's University, which is the big former big basketball school with Chris Mullen and Mark Jackson and Bill Wennington and uh, I went to school at the same time as Ron Artest um, so I played uh, I played small school football at a big basketball Big East school and I uh, was a GA for two years um, after I was done playing and decided that uh, coaching was probably my uh, best avenue to do things that I wanted to do and loved to do and probably something that I was decent at and couldn't really find many other things that I was decent at so decided to pursue coaching and ended up moving to Florida with uh, a guy that had recruited me in college a little bit and a guy that was a family friend that was a high school coach on Long Island uh, named Jimmy Barnhart and he got a head coaching job at Ridgeview High School in Orange Park and I followed him down there when I was done with my graduate assistant work and uh, started as an assistant with him and he left in six months and fortunate enough for me um about two days later the principal brought me in and asked if i wanted to be a head coach and i've been a head coach ever since so it worked out pretty well coach you know it's a small world my my dad coached for you in an all-star game in the early 2000s oh, um he coached offensive line y'all played the game at orange park high school that's all i remember um about it well it's probably a really small world because um Unfortunately for me, uh, I didn't get to participate all week in practice. That was uh, that was right around the time my dad passed away. Oh my and, uh, gosh! And uh, yeah, it was. Um, I remember it um, to this day. Just because of that, we were doing the um, at that time we were doing the um, what do they call it? The Shrine Game? Yeah, yeah, um, I think it was Shrine Game. Yeah, yeah, we were doing um, we were doing a Shrine Game, and I think maybe at that time. I want to say Chuck Dickinson was the head coach maybe from Keystone. And um, I got a chance to coach on that staff and, and your dad and some other really good guys, uh, you know, made made friends with coach Buddy Nobles, who's now in Georgia. And yep. um, yeah, I mean, I remember that one vividly because, uh, you know, you kind of remember a lot of places where you were when a lot of things happen in life. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to kind of enjoy that, but at the same time, some other things happened. So uh, that game was definitely at um, Orange Park High School. You are a hundred percent correct. Um, I think we might have won it, if I recall correctly. Coach, you did, yeah. I don't think we won it because of anything I did or called. I don't remember it being a stellar um, <laughs> offensive game by any means. But, uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, it's all those all those things like that, all-star games and, and the journeys that you go on for years. And um, You know, at that point, I was real, real young and, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably fortunate enough to coach with some older um, some older folks like your dad and Buddy Nobles and Chuck Dickinson at the time, and you know, to try and grow up a little bit and 
figure out where you need to go in life. And, and, uh, you know, I'm just fortunate enough that at that time when I was, when I was young, I did a lot of dumb things, but fortunately a lot of people, um, were able to see past a lot of that and knew what my passion was and knew what, you know, what my calling was and, you know, knew me as a person a little bit more than, than maybe the hyperactive, um, reactive guy on the sideline at 27 years old. So I've been fortunate to be around a lot of good people. Coach, that's, that's young being a head coach. I, I can feel you there because I became a head coach at 30. Um, well, 29, but then Coach Scandal was 30. But, I mean, t- talk to the listeners about, like, what like what are some challenges being that young, being a head coach? I mean, I'm sure guys, everybody that's, you know, a, a good coach probably wants to be a head coach at some point. Um, yeah. You know, what like what, what are some challenges and things that you – you can see you overcame as well um, starting as a head coach that young. I think, you know, I think part of the deal is that, you know, when everybody's an athlete growing up and when you're younger, you're always, you know, probably fiery competitive and, you know, you don't really lose that side, but you learn after a while how to kind of deal with it and understand in certain Mm -hmm. situations how you should deal with it and how you shouldn't deal with it. And, you know, in this business, what you don't really – I don't think when you become a head coach at 30, you're ever thinking about what your career is going to be like when you're 50. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I, I think sometimes you got to put in the back of your mind what that might be like because, you know, you want to make sure you don't burn any bridges. You want to make sure you don't make, you know, too much of a, of a fool of yourself in certain situations that you don't get other opportunities because you don't know 10, you know, 10 years down the road, you might be looking for a job and it may be somebody that you played against that, that you get it from. So, mm. um, you know, I, um, I've, I've met so many good people along the way and so many people that I've competed against and have, have become friends with. And, you know, luckily for me, I, I've always, um, it's probably by the grace of, of, of other people, but I, I've always been able to kind of borderline get away with being that fiery competitive guy. But at the same time, I think everybody understood where my, you know, where my heart was coming from and, and how passionate I was about high school football. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is when you're young is, is you know, you got to swallow your pride and learn that you don't know everything and learn that it's not about you. It's about the kids on the field. And it took me a long time to figure that out. But, uh, you know, after a while, you figure that out, you figure out it's not about you and you figure out that, you know, this is a business world that we live in. And if you're going to be coaching for a long time, you better make sure that you make some decisions you can live with because you don't know where your path is and, and who you might need help from down the road. Coach, that's, that's so good. I, I was thinking about, the first time I heard your name was the All-Star game. And then I coached at Orange Park during the 2011 season. I remember Coach Danny Green and Coach Corey Green just singing your praises. They thought you were an excellent coach. And obviously I do as, as well. And that was the first – that's the only time I've, I've actually co- – we've coached against each other. I moved around since then. But, um, man, you guys were, were well coached. I remember that. Um, gee whiz. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a – you know, of all the things that I've ever done and, and continue to do now, you know, I think to me, whether it be guys like Danny Green or Corey Green or, or Joey Walls or, uh, excuse me, I might sneeze. <laughs> excuse me. Um, you know, I, I think to me as a coach, <laughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the best things, you know, best compliments you can get from somebody is, um, you know, that your, co- that your team's well prepared and they're well coached and, um, you know, because the game of high school football and even the game of college football, a lot, a lot more often than not comes down to somebody being way more talented than the other team. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, unfortunately in our business, I don't know if enough games play out to where coaching becomes um, a, a, a real pivotal point mm-hmm. um, in the game. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think there's definitely you know times during the season where where how your team is coached will definitely make an impact on the game. But more often than not, you know, how your team is coached may not make an impact on the game. But the fact that other people who have won a lot of games or other people that have been very successful or other people that have been more successful than you when it comes to winning and losing, you know, the fact that they can say that your teams are well coached or the fact that, you know, they can say, Hey man, whether you're one and nine or nine and one, every week, every time we play you guys, we know we got to turn film on and prepare. and We know that you're going to have some, some answers for some things. And, you know, to me, that's, that's the best feeling in the world because, I've heard Urban Meyer say it. I've heard Nick Saban say it. I've heard all the great ones say it at great programs. That a lot of the times for them, there's 10 or 11 games a year that they wake up winning, and there's two games a year that they really have to coach. Um, and, and, you know, I never really looked at it like that, but if you think about it at high school and at these elite college programs, it's kind of true. You know, I mean, there's, 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 there's haves and have-nots in high school football and college football, and, um, you know, we all do it for whatever our reasons are for doing it, but not all of us can coach at – the you know elite programs in in high school or college and somebody's got to coach those other places so when you hear from people that are very good at what they do and very successful at what they do to hear them say that you're well coached or your teams are always prepared or your kids play hard to me that's the ultimate compliment yeah it's it's interesting you say that i mean we we signed we signed up for the glazier clinic this year we didn't sign up for it last year and you know glazier of course wants speakers that you know, I've won all these games, and I'm thinking to myself, well, there's some really good coaches that went like three and seven, two and eight, four and six, five and five. They just didn't have the dudes those people had, you know. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I I can go back through my, um, you know, I can go back through my history in coaching, and and there's years that we were three and seven or four and six that I'll pick out that were better coaching coaching jobs than I did when we were seven and three. Mm. You know, I mean, I. I Unfortunately, we we live in a society where wins and losses are how you're judged, and you know now with social media, it's even crazier. And and uh, you know I get it. There's a scoreboard. That's why they keep score. I, I 100% understand it. Uh, but in the coaching world, I, I think behind closed doors, I think only there's really only coaches who kind of understand who does a really good job and who just wins maybe in spite of the job they do. Mm. Um, you know, so it, to me that was always the ultimate. I only really cared what what opponents thought and, and what people that I respected thought and, and uh, you know there are always going to be some people that thought you you should do other things or, or you know what have you but to me I only really cared about the opinions of the people I played against because that's the tape they put the tape on they see whether we're, we're well coached or not and, you know when it shows it shows so you can't really as a high school coach to worry about wins and losses in today's day and age with the way the game is I just don't think that's a good way to go about your business because you know, I know in the area that I live in, it's real easy to figure out who wins. So, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's tough, but I don't do it for that reason. I do it because I love it, and the, you know, it's one of the only things that I really enjoy doing. So, you know, it's good to win. It's nice to win, but at the end of the day, you, you kind of understand that a lot of games are won and lost in January and February. Sure, I'm, I remember listening to you on a radio, coach. This was back. 2011 2012 and you said something that stuck with me you said something i'm not quoting you directly but i remember you saying like every public school should have a time when they were nine and one and a time when they were one and nine <laughs> i just thought man that is 
that's really true. Like it, it I mean, should I play think, out that way. I, I think when you look at when you look at high school football as a neighborhood game, and and a game that was meant to be played within school zones and tax brackets, and obviously different parts of the country are are different with how they do things. But um, you know, when you look at what high school football was supposed to be and the way it was originally meant to be, it was supposed to be a neighborhood game, and there's only a few neighborhoods across the country that are, for whatever reason, always going to be stocked with great players. And most other neighborhoods or towns are going to go through their times where they have generational players and they're really good. And then they're going to go through times where they may not win a game for a long time. So, um, you know, at that time, that was probably an outburst about how I felt about the game at the time. And, you know, not too shortly after that, I left Clay County and took a job at Baker County for that same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I was tired of, of big counties and I was tired of transient kids going where they wanted to go. And I was tired of having to constantly promote what we were doing at a program to try and get kids that lived in our school zone to come play football for us. Um, I'm not a college coach. They don't pay me to be a college coach. I don't think I should recruit 13-year-old kids to come play football for me when I'm doing the things that we were doing at Ridgeview at the time. So, you know, it, it was just one of those things that at the time was probably – how I felt and you know it just so happened that we won a game and I had to be you know I got to be on the radio that night and they asked a certain question that let me go you know a certain way and once I go that way I probably won't stop coach coach I love it and your passion you know for the game and for it for it to be played the right way uh just come just comes through and you know the the other way I think, well, the way I think most people probably know you is from your your YouTube videos and your your website. And you know, talk about how you got started with that because obviously you're a passionate guy. Like, what led you into that? And I mean, it, it's take it's taken off. It's it's amazing. It's awesome. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, it's 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 kind of weird when I originally first started doing it in 2013. Um, you know, I I was like everybody else, I guess, or you know, maybe a little bit overboard than everybody else, but just like most coaches, as soon as the season was over, I was always looking for information to get better. At that time, I was scouring the internet and, and going to Glacier clinics and, and Nike clinics and, and speaking to coaches that I played against. And you know, um, never been a big fan of. I visited colleges before, but I've never been a big fan of straight college visits because unless you have a player there or somebody that you know directly, you really don't get the right treatment. They, you know, they. They, they either give you a quality control guy and, and you're at the mercy of how good he is or mm-hmm. they give you a room where you can watch film, but there's nobody really answering your questions unless you have a relationship with somebody there, and I never really did at that level, um, or unless you have players that somebody wants. So I was always on the Internet looking for stuff, and I was a big YouTube guy, always watching games on the Internet. At that time, around 2013, um, I think maybe I had – Maybe not yet. I don't know if I had spoken at a Glacier Clinic yet. Maybe I, I probably hadn't at that time. But, um, you know, at that time, everything I came across was always a, a blog or a video or something about somebody speaking on how somebody else does something or somebody, you know, diagramming a play of, of how a college team did something or somebody with an all 22 or at that time, maybe all 22 wasn't out, but somebody with an end zone or a tight copy of a college game talking about how somebody ran something and I was always appreciative for that information because I was trying to get better as a coach but I just started thinking to myself you never see anybody get up in front of the board and do it like a clinic you never see anybody Mm. 
you know, get up and speak to people as if it was a live audience and you were doing a clinic. And it's hard, you know, obviously when you do a video version of something, it's hard because you don't have a live audience, but you're kind of speaking to them as if it is a live audience and saying, okay, look, when we, you know, when we talk about power read or we talk about diamond formation or quick passing game or whatever it is, you know, I want to talk in front of the camera as if I'm talking to an audience that's sitting at a clinic and I want to do it on a whiteboard like I would, um, for people if they were at a clinic. So I just kind of felt like there was nobody else out there really doing that, um, that I could find. And I thought it would be an interesting take on it. And, you know, I didn't really have, and I still don't to this day, a lot of technological skills. I just set a camera up on my desk and press play and walked out in front. And, you know, I had no idea at that time if anybody would watch it. I didn't know, but I was having fun doing it because the thing it really did for me was it validated some of the things that we were doing and some of the things that I needed to fix or change and some of the things that I really, really liked. And then some of the things that as I talked about it, I was like, you know what, I, I don't know if I really like this or I don't know if we do it well. So it was kind of a self-validation or your own, um, maybe uh, your own self-scout, um, you know, at the time. And it was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, it, you know what it's like as a head coach now, obviously it's a little bit different when you have a family, but at that time when you're a head coach and you're single and as soon as the season ends, you're like looking for things to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and so it, it was just something that I was I was looking at doing, and I didn't think anybody was doing it. And at the time, I didn't know if anybody would watch it. Like you said, I think you brought up the greatest point, you know, earlier. At the time, I was probably a 500 coach, and I think to this day I'm slightly above 500 or around 500. And, um, you know, did anybody want to listen to that? Did I bring anything to the table? Could I present it in a manner that anybody wanted to listen to? And I don't have state titles. I don't have seven Division One kids every year, so – I didn't really know what people wanted to hear, but lo and behold, seven years later, there's, you know, there's a fan base, there's a following, and there's other people that have started doing it now that come back and say, hey, coach, you know, you're one of the reasons I started doing it. And so, you know, to me, that's, that's the ultimate gratification. If other people start doing things that they want to do because of something I did, then you know what, that means more to me than wins and losses or anything else. Coach, that's, that's some, that's some gold, gold right there. Um, you know, you have. I'm looking at your YouTube page. You have 17,000 followers, Coach. That's amazing. <laughs> That's... Yeah, the only thing I can't, I, the only thing I can't figure out is how to turn that audience into a productive business. I, I've failed the last year or so trying to do that, and and uh, you know, doing podcasts like this hopefully help. But I don't think a lot of times people understand, as a high school football coach and a teacher, when you have a family and have kids and other things going on, and those kids start to get older. You know, if there's something that you do that people like, you have to find a way to capitalize on that. Um, and obviously, YouTube is a huge market. And I have one daughter of mine who's a huge YouTube girl, and she watches all these different shows. And it drives me nuts because those people are probably making hundreds of thousand dollars on it. And I can't figure out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, I tried writing like a little ebook last year. Of course, you know, there's a million of those things out there. And, um, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting too, like, you know, I, I could call you up or send you a Twitter something on Twitter and you'll like give me some, you know, an idea or, like I've run some stuff by you before, but man, there's some people it's like they won't even talk to you unless you pay for their thing. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I got into that I got into that dilemma last year. Like I was really, really struggling with the fact that um, you know, I I've been doing a free platform on YouTube for six years and it was great and obviously developed a great audience and play fast football 
you know, was becoming a brand and it was awesome. And I really struggled with how to bring that to, um, you know, to the business world and bring it to light to where, you know, I, I don't want to lose the people that I gained because of the platform I was using, you know, but at the same time, you're kind of, you know, as, as you get older and, and things start to change economically, you start saying to yourself, well, look, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into this. And there's a lot of people out there kind of looking at it. Is there a way that I can still keep that audience, but maybe transfer over to an audience um, that would be willing to pay for content and, um, I've never been somebody who wants to force somebody to pay for something. I still do for YouTube videos. Um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, if you check like my Twitter demographic, it's, it's probably crazy because, you know, if, if I have 7,000 followers, I follow 6,000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just because to me at the position that I'm in as a high school football coach, like, I don't think I'm in a position for people to follow me and I don't follow back. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a rock star. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to stay anonymous with, with, with who I am. And so, you know, I've always, anybody that's followed me, I follow back. Anybody that sends me a direct message on Twitter, I reply. Anybody that sends me a response on YouTube, I reply. Like I, you know, to me, that's just always the way you should go about doing things. I never wanted to, you know, I never wanted to become anything different than that. You know, I wanted to be somebody that no matter how, no matter how many subscribers I got or no matter how many views I got on YouTube, I tried to treat every comment or, you know, everybody that followed me as, you know, somebody that's equal to what I'm doing. And so I follow back and I comment back, and, you know, I still try to do that, but I, I'll never lose sight of the fact that I've gotten to where I am right now through a free platform on YouTube. So I'm never going to go away from that. I'm just like everybody else. I'm trying to find a way to survive in a world that changes all the time. Yeah. And, you know, coaching down in Florida, it's interesting seeing guys leave Florida like to go to states like Georgia and Alabama because the, the pay is a lot better. I mean, that's that's not a secret. There have been articles written about that in like, Jackson, in like the Times Union. Um, it's tough being a high school coach sometimes, you know, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially where we are. We've been frozen with our pay for a long time. And, you know, I make the same money as a 20-year head coach as a guy that takes a first-time job does. There's no – you know, there's no difference um, as far as coaching is concerned. There's no difference in being there for 20 years or being there for two years. And I think that kind of drives people nuts a little bit because in most businesses or in most places, your loyalty is rewarded, usually monetarily or somehow. And in our world where we are in Florida, it's just not it's not happening. You know, you're not getting rewarded for anything. And it, it chases a lot of guys out that obviously want to make more money and, you know, keep building their career and, and – uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. My wife is from here. Her family's around here, and you know our kids are here. So I'm never going to be a guy that's taking a job in Georgia or somewhere else. So, you know, I had to find some other avenues to, um, you know, further enhance, you know, my my kids' ability to do the things that they wanted to do and watch them grow up the way I want them to grow up. So, you know, it, it's it's tricky. It, it's not easy, but uh, still navigating it day by day and trying to find out the right way to do it. And, you know, you learn a little bit every day with what you're doing of what works and what doesn't. So we'll, we'll keep plugging along. Absolutely, Coach. Absolutely. Um, you know, Coach, one of the first YouTube videos that I ever saw you do was on your four-two-five defense. Um, what – I know you've, you've done YouTube videos, you've spoken in clinics, but what – like what drew you to that? Because that kind of – that seems to be in vogue these days. Yeah, um – 
the type of personnel that we had, um, the kids that we had at the time, um, you know, starting to see offense change to where it was more multiple and each week you were seeing something different and you were seeing more spread stuff. And, um, and, uh, you know, at the time it was through reading a Nike coach of the year book on an article by Gary Patterson that I stumbled across that I stumbled across four two five stuff and split field coverage and how they declared their coverages and how they call their coverages by formation and receivers on each side of the ball. And, you know, it kind of really felt like a system that I could embrace and, and take and, and, and make it my own and, and do it my own way. And, um, you know, I was a three, four guy when I first started coaching. And, and when I had to coach defense, I, I contacted a guy that I played for in college and he was a three, four reduction guy, quarter, quarter, half guy. And so that's where I started. I started with some three, four reduction, quarter, quarter, half stuff, and got to some three, four slant angle, three deep stuff. And, um, you know, just got to a point where I felt like the three, four, we were making way more adjustments during our game plans than we were worried about actually playing football. And each week we had to make so many adjustments and, and we spent time doing that, that we didn't spend time on actually, you know, uh, reading, reading blocks and taking blocks on and tackling and coverages. And, you know, we were always worried about the checks that we had to make. And so I stumbled across the Gary Patterson stuff and it was something that I felt like, you know, he, he was very, um, very good at how he explained it. Um, I never visited TCU. I never went to TCU. I read an article on it and I watched him play on YouTube and kind of took it from there and made it my own thing. And, um, you know, at that time I was playing it like everybody else was, I was playing it probably, you know, like, like, uh, TCU and Virginia tech and the other four two five teams at the time I was playing with a strong side down strike and a weak side mm -hmm. whip. That was a hybrid guy and a free safety. And, um, got into a situation where we got traded and motioned a bunch and, and got into some things that we really didn't want to be into because of the, uh, because of the skill set of the positions of the guys of where they were playing. Some teams were trading us and formationing us into the boundary and I had to check the three deep. And mm -hmm. They were motioning us into some things that my strong safety could only play certain coverages and my weak safety only saw weak side coverages. So when they motioned us to three by one to the weak side, I had no answers and, so I kind of developed into some other things and, you know, amazingly enough, the way the world works, that some of the things that I started doing a couple of years ago that people told me I was crazy to think about doing all of a sudden now it's, it's this positionless hybrid defense is now this big trend. <laughs> and six years ago when I told somebody I was going to do it, they said, you're out of your mind. It's kind of funny how the world works. Yeah. I mean, you watch football now and I mean, everybody, every defense runs almost every front known to man, you know, there are, three down they're you know four down they're tight front they're whatever you know it's just unbelievable how many how much people carry now yeah i mean i, I think it's uh i think we're in a time a time and an age now where uh my seventh grade daughter is now showing me her science fair project on feeding our cats and and uh and, and changing their food and how much it changed on <laughs> oh wow holy cow that's awesome yeah, we, uh, here's an interesting Coach Mac uh, fact for um, all the listeners out there on your site and my site. I have 19 cats. 19? So, yes, I have 19 cats, and my daughter did a project on all of our cats, and she's got a picture of every one with all their names underneath. And, um, you know, my daughter is very, um, very intellectual, very, um, very smart, and she puts a lot of effort into everything she does. And 
she's got this science fair project going on and and uh she's got this whole crab out. she just brought it in the room so it's pretty cool that's fantastic coach that's awesome yeah so maybe at least some of my uh some of my intellectual ability I've, I've passed down to my daughter in some ways, if not in football, she's got a way to do other things. And, um, so, uh, you know, it's just funny that you say when you, you know, getting back to our conversation about, about what teams are carrying and and how they're doing it and, you know, how many fronts they're playing. I, I was always a firm believer that the personnel on the field is really more important than, um, dictating what fronts you're playing because, you know, as a 3-4 team, we could play under, we could play over, we could play Oki, we could play Bear, we could play whatever we wanted. It was more the personnel I had on the field that dictated mm-hmm. what we were doing. And that's one of the first things I learned as a coach. Like, I, you know, I always grew up thinking that 4-3 meant this and 3-4 meant this and 3-3-5 or 3-5-3 meant this. And, you know, and then early on in my coaching career, I kind of figured out that it really, all it really means is the types of bodies and the personnel that's on the field and the front, everybody plays every front and everybody can play a lot of different coverages so um you know so you just you improvise you adjust you learn and you move on but i, I was after that first year of doing the four two five stuff and getting into the problems that we got into i was adamant that i was going to play with a left safety and a right safety and a free safety and i was not going to move those guys mm-hmm. and i wasn't going to play field or boundary defenses and i wasn't going to play strong and weak i was adamant that kids were going to play on their side and they were going to learn how to be on the read side and the away side of coverages so that i would never get shifted traded or motioned into bad situations again and you know you'd be surprised how many people at that time said there's no you can't do it you need to be field based or you need to be strong safety weak safety or you know sam linebacker uh, whatever however you want to look at it terminology wise and we had ran into some issues that i was just dead set on not getting caught in those issues again and i wasn't I wasn't high on, on cover three being a, a, a formation into boundary check or a formation into sideline check. I didn't like teams putting me into the boundary and making me play three deep. So I said, you know what? I'm going to investigate some things. I'm going to look at some things. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's different. I don't care if people say you can't do it. I'm going to take what I know, and I'm going to combine that with the problems I have, and I'm going to create something, and we'll see what happens. And lo and behold, um, six years later a lot of people are doing it so maybe it was a great idea maybe it wasn't i don't know but when i read football articles now i read a lot of articles about positionless hybrid defenses and i think to myself you know if i would have been smarter with how i marketed it i was doing that seven years ago yeah you'd be the guy that's all rich and has all the money right (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if i would have made any money or got any jobs or been anywhere different in my life but if you were to tell me that six years later you know, hybrid positionless defense would be the craze, and guys are now trying to find guys that could play in coverage and that could play down and maybe play back on a hash mark and maybe blitz. And those are all the things that we were doing six, seven years ago. You know, I don't know, I don't know if it was ahead of the curve or not. I mean, obviously, I everything I've learned, I've learned from somebody else or somewhere else. So everything I was doing, coverage structure wise, wise was from TCU and Gary Patterson and. Um, and things that I learned from Coach Walls around here at St. Augustine, who was always one of my, you know, best friends in the business. And so I was doing things that I learned from other people, but I was just never afraid to put my own spin on it, you know, and I didn't care. I guess that's one of the good things maybe about, you know, having the type of personality that I that I have to this day. I, I don't I don't let people telling me I can't do that or you shouldn't do that. I don't let it stop me. I go ahead and do it. And if it was a bad idea, then I go back and say, hey, you were right. If it was a good idea, then 
I just say, you know, hey, I thought it was possible and I did it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, guys that are coaching at places that aren't overly talented year in and year out, you have to have a little more willingness to go against the flow. You think that would be an accurate statement, Coach? Yeah, um, I think the most accurate thing about that statement is you have to find other ways to win because you're not going to win by showing up. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, so you get a little bit creative in, in nature on offense and defense and special teams, and you do things a little bit differently just because, I mean, heck, if, if, if I could show up and play good base defense and have a sound running game with, with uh, you know, a couple passes and, and kick the ball into the end zone and, you know, do things traditionally by the book the way you're supposed to do them and go 9-1, and one, then hell, that's what I'd do. You know, um, but I've never been at a place that we could really do that, so I don't know what it's like. Uh, so I've always, you know, in, in good, bad, or indifferent, there's been times where I've outcoached myself and done some things that I really didn't need to do and probably lost the game. And there's been times where we've coached ourselves into a game that we probably shouldn't be in. So, you know, I, I think you look back on your career at all the things you've done and you know, I think that's the hardest part as a coach is you got to know how much is enough, how much is too much, how much is not enough. Do you have enough answers to, to stay in a game? And what answers do you need? Because, you know, as a young guy, when you start studying everything, everything you look at, you fall in love with. And, you know, all these plays are great and all these styles of offenses are great. You fall in love with all of them when you watch people execute them the right way. And, you know, you just come to a point where you know you can't do them all, so you got to find something to hang your hat on and and uh, you know it's just I just think the more the more things you look at and the more you know the more wrinkles you can put into your own system and that's what I've always I've always just tried to find a way to wrinkle what I do and, and make it multiple and and keep it as simple as possible but have enough answers and um, you know just kind of kind of create my own deal in a way because that's that's fantastic um, you know do you ever find yourself you, know, you, you put out all this information. Do you ever find yourself thinking, man, do I really want to put this out there because some, somebody may use this to beat me? Like, does that ever cross your mind? No, because, um, you know, at, at this point in my career, at, at the stage I'm at now with what I'm trying to do with Play Fest Football as a brand and, you know, now hosting my own coaching clinic. And, and at this point in my career, if there's somebody that does something that, that I put out there, and they do it as good, if not better than me, or they do it with better players than I have, you know, somewhere along the line, there's gratification in that, that I help somebody else, you know, I mean, I get, I get emails and texts all the time after, you know, this is, I've now been six or seven years without being in the playoffs. Um, and every year, this time of year, I'll get texts from people saying, Hey coach, I'm playing for the state championship. Thank you so much. Hey coach, we're in our district final. Thank you so much. And, you know, as frustrated as I am at, at my own results in, in, in the game of football and not being able to take my team to the playoffs and, and, you know, some of my own failures, when I get those texts or emails from people, it's like, that's why you do it. You know, that's why, you know, you don't want to say living vicariously through the success of other people, but, you know, if I've helped other people be successful in what they've done and they've implemented something I've done or maybe they've taken something that I talked about and did it their own way and did it better than I do, that's ultimately as a coach. I mean, that's really what you're trying to do. Your impact on, on the lives of other people and, and helping other people is really going to be more important than your win and loss record. So, you know, I, I never really worried about that. I, I think one of the things I've also done and anybody that, that knows what I do and how I do it, I, I've never on YouTube quote unquote told people what I call what I do. 
Right. Yeah. I've never, I've never put my terminology out there. I've never, I've actually even used fake terminology. There you go. Things. You know, if if we run power read off a jet sweep, and I play you in today's day and age, you have five or six of my game. You know what I'm running. Right. You don't. I, I can't hide that from you. If you're a good coach, you know how I'm running it. So to show somebody, you know how we run power sweep. You already got. It. You, you know how we block it. You know if you're a good enough coach, and you have us on film. You know what we do, and I, I don't tell you how we signal it in. I don't tell you how we call it. So, you know, I don't ever think I gave away nuggets like that. But, you know, when I first started doing this, it was awesome and funny because we would go play friends of mine in the business, and, and that week, that Sunday, you know, they would send me text messages with pictures of, of my videos up there going, hey, getting ready for the game this week. And, <laughs> you know, it was funny at the time, and, and – but I look back on all that and I'm like, you know, it's pretty cool to, to see that people are actually looking at your website to try and figure out how to game plan. You know, I think that's a pretty neat twist in today's day and age that there's people pulling information from a website to look at what you do that they already see on film to try and find a better way to defend it. That just kind of that gave Playfast a little bit more life, so to speak. You know, it brought it to life a little bit more when people were game planning and showing me videos and pictures of them watching my website to get ready to play. That was kind of cool. That is really cool. I mean, shoot, Coach, 30 years ago, you couldn't do that, you know? (laughs) No, I mean, and that's, you know, 30 years ago, you were going to games live and you were live scouting and you were trying to get rosters at games to figure out who was who and, you know, put two and two together. You couldn't go on Max Preps and you couldn't go on all these other sites that have stats. And, and, um, you know, my deal's always been very simple. We trade film. It's no secret out there in Huddle that everybody's going to have all 10 of your games. Um, You know, I was, when Huddle first came out, I was a very big proponent of trying to find a way that you could only trade your games to people. And once they got your game, they could never trade it to anybody else. Um, I was always a fan of a state database. I'm the type of person that if me and you played and we played week 10, I would tell you, Coach Davis, here's what we'll do. Every week you give me your game, I'll give you mine. And by the time we get to week 10, you have all 10 of mine or all nine of mine and I have all nine of yours. And this way there's no hard feelings between you know anybody because you know that everybody else is out there trying to get your film and you know that they're going through several different avenues to chase your film down. How about we make this real simple? How about you just ask me for my film and I'll give it to you? Right. You know, I mean, that to me in our coaching business, that would be so much more effective and it would mean so much more to me if every coach agreed to trade every game, you know, as from coach to coach in the same profession, from man to man, if you and me said, Hey, we're going to play week 10, we'll trade every week, every game until we play. And by the time we get to that week, you have my nine, I have your nine. You don't have to worry about where I got it. And I don't have to worry about where you got it because, you know, to me that that's created more animosity in the coaching business than, than anything else out there is, you know, finding out how people got your film or how they were willing to get your film or, or you know, how they backdoored you or black marketed you on Huddle. Right. You know, to me, that's that's created more animosity than it has anything else because, you know, it's just one more way where somebody's trying to get one up on you and they're doing it kind of in a backhanded way to where, as a coach, you want to say, listen, let's trade every game. We'll show up on Friday and, and whoever wins, shake hands and let's be done. Sure. You know, so, um I still thought it would be a cool idea to have a state a state database where everybody's games go in there, and as a coach, you get a chance to watch whatever you want. And you do as much work as you want to do when it comes to our game, and you game plan 
as, as and go back as far as you want to go back to watch my film. That's up to you, but all my films are out there. And, but I think there's enough people out there that don't want to do that because I still think there's people that think there's secrets out there and they think they're getting your film, but they don't think you can get theirs. <laughs> you know, there's still people to this day that probably record games from multiple angles and trade bad angles of film to people. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I've gotten a couple believe, of those. I still believe that that's out there. So, you know, uh, unfortunately in our business, there's always going to be guys that have a little bit different opinion than you, and there's going to be guys that, that are going to do, you know, whatever it takes to win. And, and uh, you know, so I don't know if that would ever fly, but I thought a state database with a website or I thought a funnel could make a way for you to where you trade your game to somebody else and nobody else can, can trade, um, you know, your game once they get it. But, uh, you know, you got to stay ad- adapt with the times and, um, I have a close circle of friends that I am never going to trade anything on. And then I have some people that I really don't care much about and I'll take their film and give their film whenever I can get it. So it is what it is. You know, you, you live and you learn. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I've had guys tell me, I don't want, I want to trade stuff on huddle. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, I can just ask somebody you just played and they'll give it to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm just asking like, Hey, I just want to see how'd you run uh, on a counter, you know, like, and then like, yeah. well, I don't know. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I can get that if I want it, you know? Yeah, I mean, and I, it, I, I think guys sometimes just get, you know, they get afraid of their stuff getting out there. And, you know, we live in a day and age now where winning is very important to people. Trust me, if somebody wants your film, they're going to get it. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I just still, as old-fashioned as this sounds, I still believe that coaching was supposed to be a fraternity of people that tried to make the game better and, you know, why don't we all just trade all of our, let's trade all our games. Let's, you know, if we have a library and huddle that, that is conducive to hold that much, then, you know, every week I play, let, let's go trade every game we have. And this way, when we go to the game, you don't, I don't have to worry about where you got it from. You don't have to worry about where I got it from. Everybody has everybody's games. Watch what you want, scout what you want, you know, and, and let's move on. Yeah. That's that was, an ideal world. That would happen. For, you know? <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. The coaching, the coaching world is so far from ideal, and, it, and it's gone so far the other way, in my opinion. Um, that's never going to happen. We're never going to be at that point, but uh, it'd be great if we could. Absolutely. Well, Coach, as we as we land this plane, give give the listener just what's your, like, what's your golden nugget of advice you'd give to them as far as the coaching profession and how um, you know they can go about being the best they can be? Um, you know, always – Study as much as you can on everything you can. I don't think there's a scheme out there that you shouldn't take a look at at some point in time, whether you run it or don't run it or want to run it or don't run it. At some point, you might have to defend it. Um, At some point, you might want to wrinkle it into your offense. So study everything you can get your hands on. Um, Use every outlet you can now with social media. And, you know, we'll tonight at 8 o'clock, we'll have the hashtag Florida High School football chat going on. And, you know, Twitter's a great social media now is, is a great um, avenue to go down to get information. And so, you know, go out and get as much information as you can. Um, don't be afraid to work hard as an assistant coach. Don't think that everybody grows up calling plays as soon as they get a job. That's not the way the world works. You know, um, be an assistant coach, be a position coach, coach at a younger level or, or whatever level it may be and grow your way up into the job that, that, that you want to get and earn your way into the job that you want to get. Um, you know, and, and just if you can in today's society, in today's day and age, if you can find a way to keep the game first and, and keep the 
what, what's in the best interest of the game first and, you know, not let wins and losses and selfish interests lead you down a road that, um, you know, that you can't get back from to where you either burn bridges or you get down a path that there's no turning back now because you've turned so many people in the wrong direction that you can't go back, you know, be careful what you do all the time because you never know where your help's going to come from in the future. And, um, you know, if you, if you're looking for, if you're looking for videos and, and a place to find it, I now have a Patreon site, you know, at www.patreon.com backslash coach Mac, where, you know, it's my YouTube site on, on steroids. I, I do my normal YouTube videos. And then I add clips of us playing those, um, schemes, running those plays, running those defenses from our games. And I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly in there. And I now have a podcast that I've started doing thanks to guys like yourself and other guys that ventured into the podcasting world. I've ventured into that world. And right now I'm only going to put my podcasts on, um, on the Patreon site. So you have to be a member of that site to, uh, to get those podcasts. So, um, you know, just, just go out and get information. However you can get it, get your hands on it, however you can get it, study, 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 you know, learn as much as you can. And, you know, the, the biggest piece of advice I would give to anybody that might make coach Mac different than everybody else is if you got an idea and you've studied enough, don't be afraid to try it. Don't worry about, well, nobody else does it. Or, you know, don't worry about who thinks it's a good idea or a bad idea. Don't worry about nobody's done it before. You know, if you, if you think you need to do it to make your program better and you have enough knowledge behind why you're going to do it, you know, go ahead and do it. Don't be afraid to be yourself and don't be afraid to take chances in this business. It's uh, a lot of the great innovators of our time and a lot of the great offense and defensive minds out there were guys that, um, didn't always play close to the vest and guys that weren't afraid to take chances. So be yourself, know who you are, and don't be afraid to be different. Coach, you you were the man. This is this is great stuff. I have two pages of notes, Coach, while you were talking. Um, <laughs> this is this is awesome, and I'm sure I'll be hitting you up on Twitter. And now I have your cell number. I'll be texting you, blowing your phone up about uh, about questions. Uh, but Coach, thank you for coming on the podcast, and um, man, this is this has been an honor. It really has. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a privilege to do these, and uh, you know, for guys like yourself that are um, taking on a challenge of doing some things outside of um, being a head coach and trying to make the football community a better place. God bless you for what you're doing and what you're moving on, and we can always share ideas and just uh, just know that if you're gonna ask a question, you know, if I respond with a wrestling gif, you have to be able to take it because that's what I do. Coach, I love it. Thank you, and I uh, appreciate your time. I appreciate it, Zach. Yes, sir. See you, bud. All right, listeners, that was Coach Mack. Um, I will put this up on my website. Or, excuse me, on my blog site. Wow. Um, which, I don't post a ton of things on there anymore. Uh, that blog site, zachdavis.24.blogspot.com. Uh, um, I will I will put a link up there if anybody still <laughs> reads those. I can get back to writing those. Uh, but uh, this will be up on iTunes and uh, on Google Podcasts here shortly. Thank you for listening, and um, please check out Coach Mac's sites. I'll put the links in the show description. Thank you.